and ready. Good evening. Good evening. Well done. It's so good to be here as a church. It is great to be here as a church because Carl and I were talking about this before you guys got here, about what a church is. And we are here, gathered, we are a church. And that's what's going to be kind of fun that we're going to discuss tonight at the Outpost is what it means to be a church and what the implications of a church are. And it's perfect timing for two reasons. One, tomorrow's Pentecost, which is traditionally thought of as the start of the church. And we're in the second week of this kind of spring summer of hope. So if you weren't here last week, my kind of my focus and my game plan for the Outpost for spring and summer is to talk about why we're hopeful. And that's because Jesus is King and Christ is Lord and we're on the winning team. And so we should be hopeful, joyous people. Like Christians shouldn't be people of defeat. And so that's kind of going to be our focus for the summer. And we, we started that off last week with the Ascension. We talked about the importance of the Ascension, that the Ascension being true places Jesus at the right hand of the Father, which means that He is in control of everything, that everything in the universe is under His sovereign control, which should give us peace. And, and uh, we're going to talk more about that tomorrow, like what rest really looks like, rest for our souls. And so we read these verses last week, Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great mind that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's the very end of that. He put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So if the church is his body, and Christ is the head of the church, then the question we should ask is, what is the church? Like, is the church just the physical building that we go meet in on Sundays? Well, we answer that no because we don't own the building. We just rent, we just rent it out on Sundays. So it's easier for us to answer that. But, but it is an important question, right? Because I think culturally it's shifted about what people think of as the church. And it's a really important, this goes back to what you and I were speaking about earlier, really important discussion because I would even argue that there are a lot of places that have the word church on a sign that actually aren't, they're not a church. They're a place for a lot of entertainment. And so to kind of begin and frame this journey, we need to look at Pentecost and we need to look at the church forming. So I'm going to read to all of Acts 2, but I laugh when I read longer things because I had a pastor tell me that a church I worked at, we should never read longer than eight verses because people can't pay attention to longer than eight verses. So I'm going to read the whole chapter. Pay attention. Acts 2, the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phyga and Pamphylia. They don't tell you how to pronounce all the city names in seminary. Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene and visitors from Rome and both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does all this mean? But others mocking, saying, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall have prophecy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning of him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about, this, about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witness. That's such an important sentence, of that we are all witness. Not of that all we do we believe, or of that all we, we heard Frank say, that we were all a witness. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heaven, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. There's really nothing new under the sun. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added. Uh, sorry, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. That's what we're about to do here: to the breaking of bread and prayers. 
and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any has a need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day to those who were being saved. I know it's a long piece of scripture, but it's incredible. They're teaching Jesus' words. They're calling people to repentance. They're baptizing them. People are being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord is increasing the number that are being saved through the work that they're doing. This is why it's so important. So we think about Pentecost. We can think about these things in the church calendar. God, that's not really or, or we can sometimes do what Protestants do, and we, we, like, we just don't even talk about things on the church calendar because we're afraid that that might make us look like the Roman Catholics. It doesn't. But see, Pentecost is important because Jesus has ascended. That's important. David didn't ascend, right? He's in a tomb. So Jesus has ascended, and now the Holy Spirit has descended. That book that I read on the ascension written by a Roman Catholic guy. Like I said, it was an incredible book until communion. And it got really weird. But he plots this descent, ascent, descent, descent, ascent, descent, right to, to the Garden of Eden. High point, low point, high point, low point, right? But even with the descent, it's beauty. So, so, so Christ ascends, the Holy Spirit descends, and now you have the beginning of the church. We know that the Holy Spirit works in individuals, but sometimes we forget that the Spirit also dwells within the corporate gathering of people who are worshiping God. The church, or the Greek word is the ecclesia, and it means church or assembly. <laughs> but, but really, specifically, ecclesia means people who are gathered who declare that Christ is Messiah. And then you see this term all over the New Testament. Uh, it's used in Paul's letters quite a bit, uh, Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And we know that any time, any time, how many are gathered? Two or, two or more, Matthew 18, 20, for when there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am among them. So it's church, Right? So we gather two or more, Christ is with us. So we do things with that as well, right? What's, what's one of the primary things we do as a church? We worship. We come together on the Lord's Day and we have our covenant, covenantal renewal worship service, right? And so we, we do that by singing. Psalm 59, 16. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in my day of distress. We confess our sins publicly. Right? We, we kneel and we, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, right? by what we have done and by what we have left undone. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Our sins, oh, sorry, for, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's incredible. And then what do we hear? We hear the assurance of pardon. I'm not pardoning you. I can't do that. But God is. I'm reminding all of us that God, God absolves of us of our sins, that we're, we can have assurance in our pardon. And we hear the, Lord, the word, and then we meet at the Lord's table. So we know that. Like, that's what we do as a church. 
But the church is even more than just coming together and worshiping on Sundays. You see, the ecclesia, the church, the church members are bound together. We are, we, we are bound together in, in doing life together because we are accountable and committed to the same mission. I have to go back up here. But he says that, uh, having all things in common. Now, obviously, we don't have every single hobby in common. Grandma's really good at growing roses. and She's not into flying. Not into flying, for example. <laughs> I'm the world's okayest pilot, but I'm not really good at growing roses. I kind of have a brown thumb. But I, can, but I can cook the meats, right? So we don't have that in common. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's, it's about the foundation, right? It's, it's about what we have in common is what we believe, which is actually what really matters. It's what makes us brothers and sisters. It's what makes us accountable. It's what puts us on the same mission. We, we are all part of a body that is made up of individual members. And what's really amazing about this is that each member of the body brings something different to the table. Everybody in their gifts and their skills brings something unique. And it's their combined efforts together that grow God's kingdom. It's like actual real diversity. Right? It's, it, the real diversity is that everybody is an image bearer of God made uniquely. And, and every single person on this planet fits into the puzzle piece of God's design. What we pray is that they get to, they get to, to have the Holy Spirit cut deep and work in their hearts so they start using their gifts for the furtherance of God's kingdom. But when we come together as the body, that's what we're doing is we're bringing the diversity of our experience, of our gifts, with a common foundation to go out, to go out and build God's kingdom. But then where do the gifts come from? Well, they come from the Spirit, which brings us back to Pentecost. 1 Corinthians 1 through 11. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus, and our brother, Sothenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you, because in the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, God is faithful. Actually, I think I meant to read 1 Corinthians 12, not 1 through 11. 1 through 11 is really great, though. But 12 is where gifts are. And you know what I did? I probably typed in the wrong thing. It's like, that's a really good part of the passage, but not what I wanted it to say. I won't read you the whole thing, but I will, I will blow up here. This is real life. We need... Where's the production team? I thought they were supposed to have this like really buttoned up. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one uh, speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given uh, uh, through the Spirit of utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. Uh, to another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. Another, interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I'm a cessationalist as far as spiritual gifts, as far as healing, 
like laying hands on healing, but I know that people have spiritual gifts of healing. There are good and righteous doctors that are using their spiritual gifts of healing in God-honoring ways. There are, there are good and God-honoring businessmen using their gifts in, in the right ways, and there are those in all those professions that aren't. And, and that's what the real diversity for us is, right? Um, oh, this is what I did want. Um, this is the part about of 11, 1 Corinthians 1, 11. I did want in here. But it's the very end. So I don't know why I put the whole piece, but Corinthians is great. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you are united in the same mind and the same judgment, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, there is quarreling among you, my brothers. You see, the idea is that the gifts strengthen us together. We have common ground. We are united in one mind. There cannot be division on foundational items between us. There's going to be, there can be bickering, but there can't. We don't want there to be bickering, but there will be bickering because we're sinners. But it's to be reconciled through forgiveness and grace so we get back to our common ground because disunited believers are weaker than united unbelievers. Like, we can argue about secondary stuff. But foundationally, we have, to be, we have to be agreeing on the same foundational things. We have to be in service of the same God. And ultimately, that's because the church is a place of action. It's not entertainment. The church has turned into the secret-sensitive movement, turned church into entertainment. Like you go and you get your little thing and you feel really good and then you leave. But, but that's not what the church is supposed to do. The church is supposed to be a place of action. 1227 in 1 Corinthians, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You're individual members of a body, of a place of action. You're supposed to go do something. Your body here does things. It's supposed to do things, right? So the church should be our town square. We should be doing life together. Um, I think I can finish this before the rain comes. And this is why membership in the church should become so important. This isn't about membership so like you can say, like I give you like a your dues card so you can make sure. This is about the, the accountability and the commitment to the other people here, to the other people in the church. That you are saying, you are saying, if you take membership vows with us tomorrow, that we as a church body are accountable to each other. That our commitment is to the body of Christ. And it's why I'm kind of, I mean, one of the many reasons I'm against big entertain you church, entertain you church. We've been watching this Hillsong documentary on Carl Lentz on, on Hulu. It's actually pretty good. It's totally a hit piece, too, on Christianity. But it's, I mean, it, it, it's good because you can, see, you can see how easy that slippery slope in this big entertainment world where the, the pastor's like a celebrity and, and there's a brand. There's like a marketing team and an organizational structure and millions and millions of dollars in this big-ass rock show. Because it looked, and it looks like an arena and a concert. I mean, the, the stage situation, like, comes out into a crowd. It's crazy. It, it's, it's taken, like, what you would go see at the Pepsi Center and then, like, put Jesus slapped on there. And I'm not saying there aren't people in, in saving faith in those places. But, but what I'm saying is that's not what the church is supposed to be. I like a good rock show. I like good music. But that's not church. Because... What's the problem when you show up to a place with 20,000 people? You don't know anybody. Maybe you have people that you like know, or you're like in a life group with some folks. But if you don't show up next weekend, like if you don't come to church next weekend, we're all going to know. Where's Matthew? Oh, he's running his marathon. Oh, that's exciting. Let's pray for Matthew this morning, which is what we did last weekend. <laughs> because we love you and we know you. And, and when you're not there and you didn't tell anybody that you're not going to be there, then people are maybe worried. Should we... Let's go make sure he's okay. Oh my gosh, he's really sick. Let's go help. 
you can't do that if you're with 20,000 of your closest friends. You don't even know the pastor. I remember when somebody in the documentary was like, oh, I finally, after I finally got to meet him, I got like 10 minutes with Carl Lentz. It was incredible. Like celebrity pastor. How is he shepherding and caring for those, those people's souls? And of course, people volunteer in those. Well, sure, of course. And, and how could you not? Because then it turns into more about, it turns more into the production and the show and the person than it is about the service of the Lord. And of course, there's people that volunteer and you should volunteer. Giving in time is a way to tithe. Your time is valuable. Your skills, your gifts are valuable. That, that is giving to your community when you do those things. But that's, that's part of like the puzzle of how you do church life. Not, well, yeah, we go to this big place and yeah, I volunteer uh, you know, every fourth Wednesday to be the greeter at the door. And that, that gives me my purpose. Well, do you know people? No, I mean, but I really got to, I got to meet the pastor once last year and it was really exciting. He uh, had a team building event for all the volunteers and came and shook all of our hands. Like, that's a problem. How can he care for your soul? We've had a heavy week in the church this week for like a whole bunch of us. And everybody knows what's going on in everybody's life because we're family. We're, we're the body that does life together. And a lot of the people's lives in our church are really messy because we're real. How are you going to help care for people if you don't know the people you're doing life with? How are you going to be accountable? Will you know if people aren't there? Aren't you, shouldn't you be praying for people by name? We all should be praying for people by name. We can't do that if we don't know the people that we need to be praying for. And how do we do life together if we don't know what's going on in life? And I was saying to Carl earlier, like the thing that drives me the nuttiest is that church has turned into a business. And so that's why we're fully transparent with all the things, but we're committed to never having a mission statement out of the great, outside of the Great Commission and living the Bible. And having an org chart or like, oh, we, we, we hired this HR consultant to uh, help us find uh, the next whatever. Like, no. We'd rather build those people up within our church community. We don't need church consultants. There are people that their job is church consultant. It's crazy. I want the church to be thought of as, as the, the hub of the hub and spoke. It's the community center. It's the life. It's the place you do life. It's the place... You have a beer and fellowship, and it's the place you, you mourn in a funeral. It's the place that you worship the Lord every week. It's, it's the place that you do life. And the physical location of it can move. We're doing that here. And we'll, we'll move tomorrow. We'll be in a different physical location. But what we're doing is the same thing. We want to shepherd. I want to shepherd you, and we want to care for each other and do that all together. That's why we talk so much about all of Christ for all of life. But you can't do all of Christ for all of life if the church isn't at the center of it. So church should also be the reminder that it's not actually about us, right? It's about being in service of the greater, of, of, God, of, of God and God's kingdom. And we know that because Christ is the head of the church. Those, those two verses at the end of Ephesians 1, again, 22-23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We're his body. We're representatives and the way we carry ourselves, especially in these difficult times, that says about that, that you know, what we do matters. How we respond matters. And I really believe this. I'll close with this. I believe that the church is the answer to all of the issues that we see in the world. And I'm really positive. Because if you, if you take that, that timeline out farther, we're better off than we were 200 years ago. I mean, really. Mortality, uh, clean water... Uh, access to information. So we, we should have a more positive outlook. But that doesn't remove the fact 
that there's some really crazy stuff going on in clown world right outside. But the, the solution to clown world is living a normal life, and a normal life is a Christian life. That's like, that's the solution. And the church has to be the solution. We should be teaching people how to live all of Christ for all of life and showing them the real joy, the real rest that comes in that. Not prosperity. I mean, real prosperity, not like, woo! What's that 1995 clears? Those blessings are right on their, on their way. <laughs> we take the cash app, whatever you want. I'm just kidding. So we want to be a place where we're teaching all of Christ for all of life. And we want to be a place where we feast, rejoice, and rebuild. God makes all things new. We are his body. We go out and take dominion and we beautify. Look at this yard. We beautify and we make things new. So we can go do this here. The church is the only way to fix clown world. And so that's what I want us to go do. As we're in this spring and summer of hope, as we think about the incredible the incredibleness that the church is, is we are a place of action that is to joyfully go out and go do. So now we'll go inside and sing and pray and then eat baked potatoes and chili and bacon and yes, it's so good.